Hello and welcome to this episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm Andrea Miller and I'm just thrilled to introduce you to my guest today, Marcy Walker. Marcy is the creator of the increasingly popular blog, Black Coffee with White Friends. There she chronicles her experiences as a black woman navigating the white dominant spaces she has known for much of her life. On her blog, she shares so much of her heart through the letters she's written to her daughter through the years, the vulnerable and hard parts of her own story, and all the things she wants her white friends to know. I've been following Marcy on Instagram and reading her blog for a while now, and I just respect her voice and insight so much. I think once you hear our conversation, she's someone you will want to get to know better too. Today we talk about why Marcy created the blog and her passion behind it. Marcy also shares her story of growing up as a black girl in mostly all-white spaces. She shares some of the hard stories of the racism she faced at a young age, and we talk about why these conversations matter and why we need to have them. This episode's a little bit longer than most because in the last half hour, Marcy and I dig into talking about her newest project, Mockingbird History Lessons. That's her Patreon page where she researches, writes, and shares the missing narratives of our country's history. Marcy started this page in response to learning her own daughter was going to have to have slave debates in her 11th grade history class, and how that incident made Marcy really dig in to how history was being taught to our kids, and also the narrative she's been taught most of her life. Marcy and I talk about this country's whitewash history that most of us were taught in schools, and why this narrative has to change. We talk about Thanksgiving, and how the peaceful, quote, pilgrim and Indian story we grew up with is not the real story. Marcy offers her insight, as well as some great recommendations for how to acknowledge Thanksgiving in a respectful way. Although we talk about some hard things today, I think you're going to love my conversation with Marcy. I hope you can listen with an open heart for how Christ might be speaking to you through Marcy's story. Marcy, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I am so excited to be here. Really, truly honored. Ah, well, it's an honor for me to talk to you today because I have been following you on Instagram and reading your blog and recently signed up for your Mockingbird history lessons. And that's how I found you. Like I was listening to another podcast, speaking of racism that you've been on a few times and heard you on there and then dove into your Mockingbird history lessons um, because I homeschool and it's just been so awesome just to have that resource and to get to know you and your story more. So I'll introduce you. Like I said, you are the writer behind Black Coffee and White Friends, and that's a blog that chronicles your experiences as a Black woman navigating white dominant spaces. And you say, I'm usually the only Black person in the room, and this is what this blog is all about, me being the only one most days in most of the places I go. So that's what we'll talk about today, and we'll talk more about your Mockingbird history lessons at the end and where people can find those resources and what you teach there. So would you start off, Marcy, just telling your story? There are just, I mean, we could talk about so many things, but before we do, I want to just dive into your origin story and where where you came from, your family, all of that. Yeah, well, um, I'm originally from Ohio and um, was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, to very young parents who were part of that whole great migration of African-Americans fleeing the Jim Crow South, coming north. So I come from that narrative to generations ahead of me. Uh, my grandparents and my parents all came north. Um, yeah, you know, my mom, she was 16 when she had her first child. 
and I'm the youngest of five. So she had her first child at 16 and she had me um, 10 years later. And it's a strange story because in that narrative, um, she purposely got married, got pregnant so she could get married so that she could move and live with the boy who lived north so she could get out of the Jim Crow South and not have to integrate into white schools because she saw what was going on on the news and she was very terrified of being um, her home, her family being um, victimized racially and she didn't want any part of that. So she thought the solution would be, well, in those days, if you got pregnant, the boy had to marry you. That mm-hmm. that was completely understood. So that's what she did. Uh, and I I think looking back on it, I I I didn't have have a lot of conversations about this with my mom until later in life, and she was very guarded about what she experienced growing up in West Virginia and why she wanted to move to Ohio and why that seemed glamorous to her, if you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I think she just, at being a 16 year old, there were all these reports, and this is just history, coming from relatives up north, how great the north was. They were, it was a hard sell. So like, you had cousins who went north And they would say, oh, there's no racism here. I'm not even kidding. There's no racism in the North. Jobs are plentiful. It's it's the promised land. Because they were saving face. Yeah. Yeah. They were saving face. So they would get, they would like get advances on their paychecks if they were going to go home for Thanksgiving down South. And they would like rent fancy cars and you know, put on fancy clothes to make it seem that they had like made it up north. So That's just fascinating (laughs) to hear that. I love that you started with this part of your story because it's like, you could look at your mom as just another, you know, pregnancy, like, but to know why she did it. And this was the story narrative she was falling into and living out. So that's fascinating. So she was very much wanted to head up there because of all these glamorous things she saw and read. Yeah, all the glamorous things she saw and read. And I often wonder what what her life would have been like had she had the courage and the support of the community that she lived in Mm. to actually go to that all-white school. She also didn't have the support of her community and church. They were very much of the mindset that why would we, let's just keep peace. Yeah. Let's not do things to upset people. So and what, year, typical... what year are we looking at that that was? So we're looking at, my mom was born in 42, and so she would have been 16. So we're looking in the 50s, okay. mid to late 50s, that okay. this was happening. So relatively new for um, school integration. Mm-hmm. It was on the newer side of school integration. I think by that time, Ruby Bridges had already gone to school. Um, but my mom had not had, had watched all that. So it was very much, and she didn't want any part of it. So I come from this family that didn't talk very much about race um, because they, they um, I think they had trauma and yeah. they thought that if they just moved north, 
from Mississippi, West Virginia, and Alabama, that would solve it. And, yeah. and it didn't, of course. And they hope for more for their kids. So I come from that history. Of, which the irony, which we'll talk about yeah. later, is this then you were raised in a white neighborhood <laughs> in white, I mean, and being yeah. a black child and how right. that part of your narrative was so, so I've jumped ahead, but I just am seeing the irony in my head as you're telling this. So when your mom moved to, south, to the North, did her family, your grandparents and all that went with her, I'm guessing? No, no. no her okay. family did not go with her. They stayed okay. in West Virginia and are pretty much there to this day. No okay. one from her family. I think she, later I had an aunt that moved to the north and lived with my mom for a while um so i think i think it just didn't they they were very faithful people very southern baptist very faithful and they just felt like if they had a roof over their head and a in a decent paying job and a pension that they weren't going to make they weren't going to stir up anything they weren't gonna they they were fine as long as nothing had happened in their neighborhood so they were working class Um, my grandfather my mother's dad was a coal miner um so you know it was it was as long as the job was there and your family was taken care of because you had to go to work the next day so you didn't want your kid to be the kid that was causing trouble because your bosses were probably white and I think I think my family was just very frightened I the funny story that I tell in that is that my recently I realized that my sister's birthday was is on the day that Martin Luther King was um assassinated one of my Mm -hmm. sisters so I called her up and I said hey did you know that your birthday lands on the same day that Martin Luther King was assassinated you would have been seven you would have been turning seven do you remember that day she's like I don't know we had a party cake I don't know nothing happened wow and I was because you read reports of like people mourning and and people just really knowing where they were you can watch episodes of Mad Men and any other show from back in that time and people they have episodes on TV episodes about where people were when this happened and I called my other sister because they're all older than me and I said, do you remember anything? And she's like, well, I was just a baby, so I don't really remember anything. And then I called my oldest sister and she's like, no, they, there was nothing that really sticks out, no real memory of mm-hmm. that day. And I think about all those marks in history that my parents went through, but we have no stories, like none. Yeah. I couldn't, you know, like I don't have any because my family didn't talk about them so it's been an interesting life to and when we when they said yeah, because they were coping school, how they could which was yeah. not being vulnerable and trying to vulnerable. Yeah. yeah and so but yeah. you really made an effort to come out of that but I know so let's go back to Ohio growing up yeah like you said that um your mom moved to the north wanted to hope right. give you a better childhood too i'm guessing but yeah. you still had a really hard childhood so i know you lived with your grandparents so these were your father's parents then is that these right were, these were my father's parents okay. um so my dad who turned out not to be my biological dad but my dad who is my sibling's father he was 17 and he used to visit one of the things that African-American families would do is they would send their kids back down South for the summer to be with family so that they could work in the factories. Okay. 
Um, so to have family members who were taking care of the kids so you could still work in the factories and your kids weren't just, you know, without any one looking after them. So my father had met my mom that way. He had family in West Virginia. They get pregnant. He he marries her because that's exactly what they would have done in those yeah. days. He he came from a Christian family. She came from a Christian family, but it was complicated because my mother is very dark skinned. My father is very light skinned, um, and some members of his family were passing. So there was a little bit of. <laughs> you know, like they were very light skinned and my, my grandmother wasn't happy about that. She wasn't happy that um, this dark skinned woman was moving, was, you know, coming into the family and also creating darker babies, maybe, I don't know. But um, Which is so interesting. I, and I've read that another, um, yeah. just about even within the black community. There's yeah, that. there's a lot of, so there was that tension. And then my mother and father divorced and part of that divorce, I'm sure, had to do with my mother's affair, which is where I come into the story. And I think my grandparents wanted to, they were very good Christian people, and they, they wanted to take care of us kids. And my mother was not capable of that. She also had a mental illness, and my father had drinking problems, and they wanted these kids to be raised um, with the hope, you know, mm-hmm. just biblically with the hope in the future. So they basically took us all in, all five kids. And I think at the time my grandmother did this, she would have been in her 40s, I guess. And I just think, I'm I'm out of energy at 50, so I don't even know how she did this. But she took us, they took us in, and um, I wasn't, nothing was really said, like, okay, you're going to go to school, but this school is going to be different because we're coming from all-Black neighborhood. Um, working class factory worker neighborhood mm-hmm. and no one told us like okay all the kids are going to be white <laughs> yeah. I didn't know and so we, because your grandparents sorry to interrupt you just real quick your your grandparents yeah. neighborhood was all white and you guys were the only african-american family right there were two other families okay and one didn't have children okay so like we were we were really we 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 were really the only ones. And add to that, the other two families that had children, they were older than me. So I wasn't in school with other black kids until I was in, I don't know, um, middle school. So okay. they were always like a couple of years ahead of me. So my, my sister was in school with me my first year. She was in sixth grade. I was in kindergarten, but then she went to seventh grade. So okay. all that time, and then those kids, you know, who were ahead would graduate out of the elementary. So I was, I was often the only one um, in my grade. So talk about that a little bit. You have a couple of the writings on your blog, which are so powerful, where you talk about how no one said you were going to be the only black kid in your class and what you were going to encounter. So take us back to like kindergarten and that conversation yeah that you share on your blog. Just just take us back to some of the stories that you want to share about that, because I know you have so many. I think it's true, and I, I know people love to say that kids aren't raised with, with racial preference. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's a, absolutely true. So that's obviously mm-hmm. just a 
white narrative maybe that kids aren't raised with that. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it's, it's a, it's definitely a white narrative, but I also yeah. think my parents were working from that white narrative. I yeah, think they true. were like, if we are in this neighborhood and we own this kind of home, like all the other homes and we are good citizens, then surely yeah. our children will be treated as equal because that's the law. Right. And, yeah. and we are good neighbors. Why wouldn't they be? Right. I think there was a little of that. And I think it was too painful for them to think about, too. Like, on top of everything else that they're doing, raising five kids that are not their own, they're their grandchildren, I think that they were just not able to hold space for that kind sure. of training. And also because they haven't, they hadn't processed what they had come through. Yeah. So they it's were so still aggrieved. I think a grief generation is what I was raised. I was raised by a grief generation within my family. And so my first day of school, I went into it not really shocked at white faces or, and not really perplexed by it. I was shocked at the response that I received. And I was a fighter. So <laughs> the first kid who teased me about my hair and tied them to a chair <laughs> and um, <laughs> the jump rope. The teacher left the room for like, I don't know, maybe she went to the back. I don't know. It wasn't very long, but by, in that amount of time, like he had got a, a, some, just to say that my hair was funny and is it made of wires and just mm -hmm. to try to make, and I think what kids are doing in that, they're trying to make sense of what is sure. different from them. And sure. I think that's our natural um, understanding. When God put Adam in the garden, I think he has him name the animals because he's naming what isn't him. This is not me. This is not me. This is not me. Looking for a suitable mate, right? Yeah. So we are, Dr. Christina Cleveland talks a lot in her book, This Unity of Christ and Christ is she talks about how we, we need to categorize things in order to know how, how to experience them. And I think if kids don't learn about race, racial difference, what it is and what it isn't, they then will make up their own narrative. And usually the narrative that kids make up is that if something's different, then it's ill, it's unsafe. I mean, just give your kid a new vegetable they've never seen, no matter right. how delicious right. it is their first reaction will be, oh, this is different, I don't like it. Right. And so there's, there are very rare moments when a kid will lean into that. But I think that's just a beautiful gift that they've received. But for most, it's hard to cross that, that barrier without direction, without knowing. Right, and, and so, in that, in that era, right. I mean, in that time period, I'm probably yeah. pretty certain, fair to say that those kids were not getting, the white kids were not getting yeah. the direction and wow, wow you know, what they were no. being exposed to and you, cause you say, well, I'm going to let you keep telling. Cause I could read a lot of your quotes, but I want you to keep. So you talk about, you know, he was saying your hair felt like wire and you tied him up. Um, and just yeah. tell, tell about some more of your other experiences there. Because so I think we're just so naive. Like yeah. we think it's so long ago. I mean, you're just a little bit older than me and it's like, yeah. this was not that long ago. And we have such, yeah. you know, I was raised in all white neighborhood and the and a white kids so we have such different yeah. experiences and when i read your words i'm like oh my gosh like just i can yeah. oh i just ache for you oh it, but you know it's i think it's just like 
any kid, there's this beautiful, Disney just did this beautiful, I think it's Pixar, they did this beautiful short. And anyone who has Disney Plus or can, maybe you can watch it on YouTube, it's called Float. Okay. And it's about raising a kid who's different, has different challenges. And those challenges could be Down syndrome, autistic. Um, they just perform differently. And my family and I watched it and we were all just like moved to tears because mm -hmm. there's this, this dad who just says, you know, and then why can't you just be normal? Because this, this kid isn't like all the other kids. And so I think for my family, they hoped I would assimilate into and just not be noticed. And I think that's, that's common. Um, but I, I, you know, like my grandmother was a very fair skinned woman and she was very blunt with the way that she spoke and addressed people. And I had gone, I'd gone like, I think it may, it must've been like a little further into the school year. And I finally made like a friend, like a real friend, I thought because a little girl had asked me if I tasted like chocolate. Mm. And I was like, I knew, I, I can remember the feeling. I knew that something was wrong in her saying that. Yeah. Something was wrong in it. But I would have wanted to be anything else than what the other kids were calling me at that time. Right, because so, you were getting, I mean, you share, you were being called really bad things i mean i'm yeah. not obviously repeating yeah. you shared in your blog but yeah. really hurtful harmful things and so this little blonde girl that yeah you sit by and i know blonde i think you share that in the blog so i'm yeah. not just assuming yeah. she was a blonde yeah, yeah. She, was, <laughs> um, she was blonde okay yeah. so yeah. you're sitting by each other and she asks you do you taste like chocolate and so your young mind what did you do with that and um share yeah. that and then what happened with grandma because i think that's pretty powerful yeah. too yeah, and I'm just betting her parent, she, she may have gone home and said there's this girl, and maybe her parent just, you know, tried to teach <laughs> about race in the most inappropriate way. And right. so we, I asked if she tasted like vanilla, and we licked each other's, like, the back of each other's hands, mm -hmm. and we giggled and pretended like this was true. And so we had solved all the race problems of the world <laughs> right there. Of course. <laughs> Both of us sitting in this in in the swing set just deciding that okay so we are we're safe for each other it's really what we we're trying to get yeah. at. we were trying to get at was good how we got to it was again my parents weren't saying anything about race her parents were probably saying something kind of crazy about right. race and so we made up this narrative and yes. then when i got to home and i told my grandmother about my day she was very clear that I was not made of chocolate. No one in our home was that we were just black and that's just that. And there was no more. And so I never, I never, you know, I'm, I'm a kindergartner, so I don't process to go, Oh, well tell me more about what it means to be black. Right, <laughs> like, you know? right, right. As a kid, I just accepted, Oh, I'm just black that I'm, and I took that to mean if I'm not chocolate, if this skin doesn't mean something wonderful, like I taste like chocolate, and she's saying that's bad, that I'm thinking that I taste like chocolate, and I, I'm just black, those words just black, then I'm thinking, then I'm not special. Mm. And black is not special. And mm. it's, 
And so all my narratives were come from a kind of broken, um, hurtful place on what it is to be black. They really because do. I know my, one of the things yeah. you say, you, also, you felt like a mistake in your family. Because like you said right. earlier, you were the blackest one mm-hmm. also. And so you just, mm-hmm. so how, I mean, how did you continue as just a young young child to continue to process and go on? I mean, was, was Christ, was Jesus in your life? Like, how did you make it through, I guess? Yeah, I had, I had a really inner faith life from a very early age. I have memories from when I was three of having encounters with God. So I think, sure, that, that was definitely it. But I also think there's just the humanness of life that our life is out more outside of race. And as yeah. kids got to know me and I got to know myself and you start to like things that are the same. And um, there's also the added bonus that back then all the kids get invited to a party. Well, that actually, it's not true. Most of the time, all the kids were invited to. If there was a birthday party, we were all invited. So I think just befriending people, becoming friends, became kind of a solace. So I think that that helped carry me. I also had a really strong faith community. And I had a very rich, although we did not talk about race in my home, my home was a very black home. Yeah. You know, so I had my um, traditions and I had my family and I had music and I had sisters and brothers who seemed to be thriving and we never talked about it. So no one came home and said at the dinner table, this is what happened to me at school. Mm. No one. And come to find out all my sisters had, my sisters and my brother all have stories, but we didn't talk about this. Uh, as a family this was not something that we that we would then go home and dissect number one because I think there's a shame attached to that as a child you feel like it's your fault that these things are happening to you and number two we didn't want to stress out our already mentally ill mother our alcoholic father and our grandparents who were who were trying to raise us you know so like we weren't we were trying not to, to add to it so do you think that was probably common in the culture then? I mean, it's just such a, the tensions were just so strong and it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing with all the shame and vulnerability involved, it was probably not talked about with African-Americans. I don't know. Uh, you know I don't, I don't know, but I, I find it interesting that um, I know you've talked to Natasha um, yes. Sistrunk Robinson and her story is different than mine. It seems I was like just thinking that. I was just was thinking very... that when you were sharing. Yeah aware and I don't know if that I think she comes from an African heritage Mm -hmm. directly I think right well and yes and I think you know no you're and I think the difference too is she stayed in the south and was around a lot I mean mostly around African Americans and strong women and so she wasn't like you put in this white world of not belonging it wasn't until she left you know for the Naval Academy she's like whoa this isn't like this everywhere that everybody, you know, right. loves, loves exactly. the color of skin I'm in. So it's so interesting because it's like your family was trying to, you know, integrate you. Like, I don't know. It's yeah. just an interesting narrative, but they were wanting to assimilate you, which was not at all healthy and um, just a lot of figuring out as a child. And 
Uh, it's amazing though where God has taken you though with all this. That's why I love to hear like your backstory of this. And then, so let's, before we get in kind of your own parenting and where God took you in college and that, could you share a little bit? Cause I think this is also profound. One of the statements um, when you're talking about driving and your sister gets pulled over uh, yeah. and you say, one of the things you talk about is driving while young and black is so different for if you're for different for you all than when you're white. You say a crime punishable by humiliation, harassment, and way too many times death. And that just mm-hmm. talk a little about that um, because I don't. I don't want to talk a little about it because to be honest, although I've had I've been pulled over lots of times. <laughs> um, you have. Um, Oh, yeah, especially oh. because I'm married to a, a white guy. But I, I want to say this. I, wanna, I want to, my story is not Trayvon's mom's story or so yeah. many who have a very different story of right. what this looks like. The funny thing about my home is that the times that we did talk about race, it wasn't spoken, but we were warned of where we could go and where we could not go, what we could do and what we could not do how we were to perform in public and what we could do publicly and what could only be done privately. And that was, that also set a narrative for me that there were places that weren't safe for me to go places where I had to be very aware of what I was doing and how I was behaving and to be absolutely um, following the letter of the law, you know, (laughs) the law to the letter or however you want to say it. But my, um, sister is 10 years older than me and we were driving through a part of town we had to drive through this one township to get to our township so these are a bunch of small townships connected and that township we were told was very racist and that we need to be careful when we were driving through that we weren't speeding or playing our music too loud or, or doing anything that would cause the police to to pull us over and my sister was driving us home from visiting my mother in, in Cleveland, Ohio. So we come from this all black community um, coming home and we couldn't have been, I don't know. I, I, I doubt that we were more than 10 miles away from home, but the cop pulled us over and my sister's car had tickets on it. Um, and she was a young girl mm-hmm. at the time. I look at this, I remember thinking, well, she should have paid her tickets and this, that, and the other. And that is all true. But I look back on it now, and I think my sister was, if I was around 10 or 12, she was just 20, mm-hmm. you know, that. Mm-hmm. Or if I was seven or eight, then she would have only been 17, 18 years old. So she was okay. young. And young people are learning res- how to be responsible. Yes. So um, I don't look at it now in the same way. But she asked the cop who was gonna arrest who arrested her hmm. not because so he, he that's what i say she had no reason to did she have any cause to pull her over like as, we didn't we didn't believe that he did yeah okay like looking back on it she wasn't we were we were so trained about going through that part of town that none of us would have dared to go over the speed limit and we were coming from it was a sunday night and we were not far from our house and my sister said, can you just follow me? I can take them home and leave the car there and then I'll just come with you. And no, he made us walk home. Mm-hmm. And walk home in a place where there's no sidewalks. This yeah. is not a walking town. Yeah. And 
I remember us being feeling, I, and we never really, really talked about it. It's not something that we've, we've talked about, but I, I, get, I think the greatest validation I received, and I hope I don't cry just talking about it, but the greatest validation I've, seen, I've received about the blog is when my sisters um, first read it, because I didn't actually tell them I was going to do it. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to write honestly. Right. my own my own memories and have them just weigh in later like yeah and to have my sister Mia who would have been like the 16 year old in the car and she was just like I'm so proud of you and mm. you write whatever story you want I, I I'm behind you whatever you write our story mm. and to have all of my sisters be very supportive of the project has meant, and also I feel like I'm validating things for them too, because so much has happened and we didn't talk about it. And when we got home and we told my grandparents what happened, we were the ones who were in trouble. It's it's if they, it's like they thought we weren't careful enough or or we didn't, if, well, that's why you have to pay. You have to pay the ticket right away because don't want to. And I get it. They were frightened for us. Right. And they were frightened. They didn't want us to have these experiences. So, you know, but I went to college and I, I knew friends that had boots on their cars and, you know, from not paying tickets and just being broke college students right. who weren't financially responsible. But that's another thing, not, not being financially responsible or financially capable can mean a different thing if you're black in this country, for sure. And so that was a pretty traumatic memory. So I have a a daughter now, she's 17, and she hasn't started driving yet, but you know, we've, we've talked about that. We've talked about cops and we've had, she and I have had incidents when we've been pulled, when we were were reported on. I think I write about Yes. I she was taking baking lessons in our neighborhood and I would drop her off and turn around in the neighbor's driveway so I could turn the car the, in the direction that I needed to go to get back home and also so I could drop I could my daughter could get out of the car without having to walk around the car. Right. And um the the neighbor called the neighborhood watch on me as someone who was suspicious. <laughs> and I mean, and I'm do I'm doing this like on a Saturday morning. It was Saturday right. mornings around nine that she would go over and and when my daughter told me about it, I was outraged. Mm-hmm. And my daughter at the time, and I don't know how she feels about it now because we do have different opinions of how we see the world. But she was she could not believe it was very hard for her to accept that yeah. this was based on the color of my skin. She just thought you know, that there was no way that that was it. But a lot of that's because I don't, I, in the beginning, I didn't raise my daughter to, to look for these things because we came from a pretty diverse place in Chicago and then we moved to, we moved here. And I thought I was safe in the, in the cradle of the Christian community. I thought I, I would be safe. Because you're in from, Austin, right? Is that where you're yeah, at? Right now? Yeah, in Austin. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, it's going to, you know what we're gonna be fine yeah but I've learned I've since learned that there's a lot of racism in the church and I don't 
and it's disguised as kindness and niceness and oneness uh-huh. and sameness. And it's very damaging because it's hard to call out an incident like that and to talk about that with friends who will then say, are you sure? Are you, Yeah. that's you're not possible. I'm sure that. And, and then, and the way that I get around is I'm like, imagine yourself. Have you ever been, has anyone ever reported you suspicious for turning around in their driveway? Yeah. And, and, and there's the rub. Have you ever been reported? I have a friend here in town who, who was visiting a friend and the cops came and asked what he was doing walking down the street <laughs> because he's black. And it's like, have you ever had someone stop you from walking in a neighborhood that you didn't live in and ask you what you were doing there? Yeah. And that's, that's, race, that's racial difference. That's, that's racism and what it looks like and what we call microaggressions, which really to me are just super aggressive. But if you're white, a lot of times, especially a white Christian, it's hard to see that clearly. It absolutely is. I mean, it absolutely is. Had I, if I hadn't, you know, immersed myself in your books and are your blog and other books, I would be oblivious to it. I mean, you touch, we both have 17 year old daughters and just reading this story with the driving and you being put like, Oh, just putting myself in your shoes or my daughter self, like it just hits home so much. And like you, we moved to Tulsa, not Austin, but the Bible Belt five and a half years yeah. ago. It's been interesting because I think there's a lot of more blinders almost here. To some yeah, days. yeah. It's, it's opened my, these blinders have opened my eyes. So it sounds like that was a similar kind of experience with you and in the church. So talking about yeah. daughters, you said you didn't fully understand your story until your own daughter was put in an all white Christian conservative school. So mm-hmm. there you are in Austin. I'm assuming that was in Austin. Is that right? Yeah, that's in Austin. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about, tell us about that experience and how that started taking off some blinders for you and opening your eyes and making you look kind of at your own narrative. When we hit the high school years that the things we were hearing from her and some of the history that was being taught was not right. So I heard that in 11th grade, we were at her, we were at her ninth grade kind of open house, like back to school open house. And the teachers were telling what to the heads of the different departments, history, English, and on were telling what to expect in the next four years. And the head of the history department told us how they were going to have to do this slave debate. And I, it was really weird because you know how, I'm just going to be honest, you're in these meetings and you're there. Mm -hmm. You're there because you need to show up to have your face so that they know that you care as a parent. Yes. Yep. You'd rather not be there, but you're this there. Yeah. I'm sure I'm thinking about what are we going to do for dinner? I'm starving. Mm-hmm. I'm not really, I'm paying attention, but I'm, and I'm you know, I'm smiling, yes. but I'm really kind of not paying attention. But I instantly was like, well, what did you say? And they went on to the next thing. Like just, Completely they mentioned it like it. it's no big deal. Yeah. And so wow. then my husband and I were leaving. And as soon as we walked out, I said, what do you think they meant by slave debates do you think that that's i i don't think i i like that and it's funny because 
he's white and British, but he said, oh my gosh, the minute that it came out of your mouth, I really didn't like it. Like he didn't think of it when she said it, but me saying it, his African-American wife, he's just like, yes, she can't do that project. That's not something she can do. And I just went into, yeah, I prayed about it for a couple of days so I can't even um, believe it. Like, I'm still stuck on, I mean, I, I yeah. read or heard you say this a couple of days ago in something I listened to of yours and I was just like in shock, like that, that oh, I was too, thing. like, I was in shock because I went online <sighs> and I saw, I saw kids doing slave debates. I saw oh, kids doing projects where they were, they were slave, they were slave, supposed to be slave owners defending slavery. And <sighs> I thought, Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, we're talking about this right happening? now. This is not like twenty years ago. So oh, this no. still oh, still this goes on. And the now. premise was it still goes on. Yeah, and the premise was so people are clear. One side is saying, "Yeah, slavery is justified and right. We should have it." And the For other all side, these reasons. And, and the other, other side is saying that's not. Mm-hmm. Wow! And your daughter was is one of the only African American girls in that school. Is that right? She was the only African American girl in that high school. Okay. At and the time. Okay. And there so, was a girl who was of mixed race, and there was a boy who was black, but he was adopted into a white family. Okay. I was the only black mom in that school at that time. At the time. I think it's changed now, but at the time I was the only black mom. Okay. So there were other black kids, they were younger and they had been adopted into families. So my radar was different than everyone else. It absolutely was. So so, yeah. I'd like to think as a white mom, if I heard that I'd have some issues, but (laughs) But you you might yeah, you might not hear it. And that's the thing. It's that our kids don't tell us everything that happens yeah, school yeah. and every project that they have and everything that they're working on. And that would have been a project that she probably would have worked on more so at school yeah. than she would have brought home. So yeah. if no one had told me, I may not have ever known that she did the project. Right. And my kid, because she is pretty sensitive and she's also very brave, she would have braved it, but been too sensitive to tell us about mm-hmm. it. And we would have, we would have known that something was wrong, but we wouldn't have known what. Mm-hmm. And so it's been, we haven't been at that school in a while. It's been a, it's been a year now, two years. Okay. And she still is telling us stories that we are just for the first time hearing things that happen um, with her and some of her co her, her classmates. Wow. Um, and and I know, yeah. go back, because I kind of interrupted when you said that you took, when this happened, you were like, okay, you went home, you prayed about it. So kind of tell us about the next, because you didn't just let it slide. Yeah, and this kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell us what you did with that. Well, I prayed. I really prayed like, Lord, am I, am I being sensitive? Show, and I asked God, show me, show me, show me why this matters. Why is this mattering to me? And where where in the Bible can I point to and say, okay, this isn't the way to go? And all I heard at that time from God, honestly, the, the only thing that I was hearing was that um, treat others as you would like to be treated, love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so I went into the meeting with, I said, I'm going to love this teacher because my assumptions 
then started to kick in. Well, she's a this, and she's a, she's a racist, and she's a this, and she's a that, and she's a terrible person, and she's brainwashing these kids. Just terrible ideas. And that's, that's my flesh. I'm human. But I had to get to the spirit of the thing, that we were all Christians at this school claiming to love the same God. And so I had to think, I'm going to assume that she loves the same God and I'm going to love her and the way that I reach out to her. So the first thing that I did is I, I sought some counsel. I, I, I had some connection to Latasha Morrison from Be the Bridge, um, but we had never had a conversation outside of, hi, nice to meet you. And mm-hmm. I'm Marcy. And um, so I emailed her thinking that she wasn't going to get, I'm like, she's busy. She's not going to get back to me. <laughs> um, right. She emailed me back right away mm. um, that I was right to feel the way that I did and that I absolutely, um, it was a problem. And so I then emailed the teacher to clarify, I, just to say, hey, I heard this. And before I go any further, I want to make sure that I'm hearing it right. Could you explain more about the project? Mm-hmm. And she, it took a couple of days and she got back to me and, and um, explained what the project was. And it was exactly what I thought it was and why she felt that that was the best route to go. And I emailed back, I, I think I emailed that I would love to talk more about that, that I disagreed. But that was not a good way to teach kids to be empathetic or to un- how to understand slavery. And so she asked, she was open to the meeting and asked if she could include the head of the high school at the time. And I said, that'd be great. So my husband and I went um, and he went for accountability um, for me just to keep me grounded and, and to also be the ears to hear what I may not have heard. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you go into those situations as a person of color, your emotions are very different. So you are, you're not sure what you're going to find. You're not sure if the person's going to be on the defense. You're really not sure. And this teacher was, before I even sat down, she's like, I need to tell you my story. Mm-hmm. And she told me about growing up in Selma, Alabama which is, if you've read any of their history, is a very racially divisive, um, has a very racially divisive history um, with civil rights, with race riots, just very difficult history. She grew up in that, and she grew up in a family that had been very racist. She had come to a different understanding of race and had kind of denounced her family's racist point of view and felt that God had helped her through that. And she was devastated because this blindsided her. This was a blind spot. She didn't realize what she was doing. And she was deeply grieved mm-hmm. and she changed her curriculum. Wow. So, and, and, and we're talking about a brilliant teacher, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I think and I knew that she loved the kids. Like, I, I honestly believed, and that helped. I was like, I don't think that this is a woman who's trying to, to I don't think she had some sort of agenda. I, I think she really wants, I knew her children and I, I 
really believed that she wanted to, to, to be a godly teacher for the school and a leader. And it's and such so, a powerful yeah. example, though, how we can be just so have blinders on as white yeah. people and not even realize But I just love you. And I've heard you talk on other things that you are so grace filled and intentional to know other people's stories before you are quick to judge or stereotype or be it. I mean, you're just, you really have a gift of that. And I just, it's very admirable. And I think we all have a lot to, to learn from that from you for how you're able to do Aww. that. So was that kind of the, Oh, was that kind of the motivation then for you to start the black coffee with white friends? Cause you hadn't started it yet. Right. Did, was your, did your blog come out of this? Tell me now kind of how, how that happened. Well, I had, I was always writing because I went to, I was an English lit major. So okay. I always loved the art of writing and I would, my husband and I, we, I go back and forth like every other week saying, I'm going to start a blog. No, I'm not. I'm not going to start a blog. I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to take all the stuff that I've written and put on a blog. No, I'm not. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. So I would go back and forth. Okay. And then I was also in a season of grieving. I lost my, since my marriage in 2010, I lost my mom, my, the dad whose name I carry, um, and a niece and a nephew. So there was a lot of grief in the family and and there were a lot of missing stories too. And I I thought, you know, I'm I want Nadia to know. And then um there was the presidential election and that really affected our school. Mm-hmm. Um because we had a pretty conservative school and my daughter was getting a lot of heat for our political views because we weren't very supportive of Trump. Mm-hmm. And I remember having this conversation after a prayer meeting, I was on the prayer team. And I remember one of my friends had said, I just don't know what, what are we going to do? Who are we going to vote for? Like, she was really like, I don't know what is happening in the world. And she felt like she couldn't vote for Donald Trump, but there were a lot of, but she had been Republican and she didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. She really, she, so she really was coming to us women um, and asking friends, like, what are you doing politically? And if you don't want to tell me, that's fine. And this is one of a friend who, who had been helping my daughter learn to bake, the same friend. And she just really wanted to know what people's thoughts were. And a woman in the group had said, I'm voting for the unborn babies. Mm. And... And I didn't know, I was just kind of like, well, that's not really saying a lot. But <laughs> Which she felt like she was being so powerful in that statement, I'm sure. Yeah, and I just thought, but there are a lot of people who are living. Uh-huh. And, I, and, I, and it was very, that, that's still complicated. It's mm-hmm. still complicated. So um, when that, when that um, election happened, I wanted my daughter to have a record I didn't want to leave her like my parents and my grandparents had left me without understanding our racial history in this okay. country as the family, where I was, what I was thinking as things were happening, how I felt about God, why I believed what I believed, what I saw in her as a young um, mm. girl, how God had 
shown himself, how, 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 how the divine had showed up in our lives. And I wanted to, to write her letters, and I had already been writing them about that. But then I started writing more about things that we were experiencing in our So you history. were doing all this before the blog, right? You were writing before those the letters. Yeah. So you were writing these letters. And to my daughter. Yeah. 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 Which is so cool. But I mean, yeah, I love yeah. that. It's almost like in two, you were doing for her what you so needed as a child that never had. And you were filling in yeah. all these gaps for her, which I just love. So you're pouring out your heart to your daughter in these letters and writings. But then I decided you know what, I'm going to write to these women <laughs> that that I have been friends with for all this time, and we've never talked about race. We've never really had a discussion. I would share things about my family history and background, and every now and again, I might say something about hair or, or what I could and couldn't do or something right. like that, but I had not really had a real connected conversation about race, and I was just beginning to because of that conversation with the history teacher that led to more conversations with people, with staff people and other people who were interested in that conversation. And so the conversation was beginning there. And so- So were all your friends I, in Austin primarily white, I'm guessing, is that- oh, I, I had not had a black friend in Austin. Okay. For the first, almost six seven years here okay and that was because i hadn't met any it yeah. wasn't that it wasn't that i didn't want any i right. i literally had i could go weeks and not yeah. see another person of color let alone a black person yeah. and when i did it was kind of funny if, if i did you know the recognition and the beelining that i would do with a grocery cart <laughs> Just to, just to say, just to make sure I was saying hello was epic. <laughs> yeah, I think Latasha Morrison, she talks about the same thing in her book. Like, yeah. you'd find like, yeah. oh, just see somebody. So yeah. that's so interesting. So you were just assimilating, did not have the conversations about you being Black, the differences. You just kind of act like, not you, but everybody yeah. just act like, huh, nothing, nothing here. We're color, quote, colorblind, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what? I actually was not just assimilating to this really white culture. I was assimilating to a very conservative culture mm. that I didn't know because I came from a, a, a very diverse and, and pretty, I wouldn't say we were exactly liberal, but we were far less conservative <laughs> where I came from in Chicago. And so these weren't, so I had never heard anything like that. I'm bored. I'm, I'm, I'm voting for the unborn babies. And I didn't know there was a liberal and a conservative. I thought mm -hmm. we were just all Christian. That election started to pull together for me what, what that meant. Because I yeah. still didn't know my daughter was going to school with kids saying things like chanting for Trump and saying, mm -hmm. make America great again. And she's hearing from me. And also her own feelings about that. Like, yeah. well, what does that mean for me as a black person in this country? Yeah. Um, make America great again. When was it great, right? Uh -huh. So there was a lot of that with, with us. And, and I wasn't, and my feeling, and I, I've said this before, is that whether someone voted for Trump or not is not the hill I want to die on because 
he's he's a president. He's not my Lord and Savior. He's not our Lord and Savior. So, and this time shall pass. Right. But I just, and I I don't want to not I I don't want to not be in community with people because of who they voted for. I just I couldn't fathom that Agreed. in my life. Yeah. But I could see friends ru- friendships were rupturing around me. Not. No, I wasn't having these ruptures, but I was seeing that people were getting, were really getting upset with one another on um, opinions, mm-hmm. on their on their political opinions. And I think it just really has, uh, it's really shined such a bright spotlight on the divisiveness in this country his presidency has. And we don't have to get into right. a whole Trump political conversation because like no, you, that's not, not the hill all. I want to die on. But it's so interesting that yeah. this is kind of really what sparked more of your passion for, okay, this is what I want to say to these white friends. Yeah, yeah. that's so okay. This is what I would say. This is what I would want them to know about okay. being in those rooms. This is what I would want them to know about why I believe as I believe. That was really the reason for writing the blog was I wanted my daughter to not have to, she doesn't read the blog now. I mean, she's a 17 year old kid. I just, she, who really doesn't want to read her mother's blog, <laughs> but, but she will one day, she's going to treasure it day, and just pour over it. Yes. Right. Well, one, one day for, you know, she'll, she'll at least know that I cared and I had an opinion and I, and I, I, I was working towards helping it be better that I was wanting to add to the conversation and that I truly believe that God is so reflected in all of our differences and and, and that's a beautiful thing and so that was why I wrote the blog and so your um, blog, like it's very, you have a lot of category. I mean, you have poured so much of, you are just an amazingly gifted writer and you've poured a lot of your, like I said, your letters, your memoirs and devotionals. And the, the, you, so much. you are, and specifically the letters to your white friends is so, it's so vulnerable and it's so brave. And you just have like flat out, like, here's the things I want to say for white yeah. people. I mean, it can be really easy and comfortable just to stay in our boxes and not give up our privilege and not get right. uncomfortable. So tell me, tell me why we need to talk about it. Or how do you answer that? Don't tell yeah. me. I, I know. Well, <laughs> tell well, me how you answer that. Well the, well, the short answer is because we even have the question, mm-hmm. we have to talk about it mm-hmm. because the question exists. Why do we have to talk about race? Because that is a question that exists for many people. We actually have to do the work and talk about it. Yeah. And the second part is because your church probably looks nothing like heaven, mm-hmm. nor does mine. I love Daniel Hill. I don't know if you've read his book, um, White Awake. White Awake. I have heard um, of it. Okay. I haven't read it, yeah. but I've heard of it. And he's this white pastor who wanted to do this multicultural church in Chicago, but was having a hard time doing it because there was all this work that he needed to do understanding whiteness before he could then lead a multicultural church. Um, So one of the things that he talks about is a a black pastor was willing to meet with him and the pastor asked, well, you know, well, why do you want to do this? And he gave this really beautiful 
thoughtful answer, like, well, because the church is supposed to be one, and you know, he can mm-hmm. he can name all the scriptures and point to the right places. And then he said, the pastor asked, I want you to go home, and I want you to look at the books on your shelf, and I want you to tell me all the people of color. Mm-hmm. And that was profound for me, an English yeah. major, and I will say, uh, a book hoarder. I'm a hoarder with books. And it went and it went to my heart too because uh-huh. I was like, wow, all my theologians are white. Uh-huh. All my like my music's diverse, you know, like I'm listening to gospel music and I'm, you know, um, but I honestly had to check myself and I I had African American literature and things of that nature because I I didn't yeah. have people who were faithful people. I ha- I did not have their books. I I did not have the books of, of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. I didn't have I didn't have more women than men. I had a lot more men than women. Yes. I didn't have um, Asian American stories. I didn't have so I well it was a great excuse for me to start read even more to to go out and to get other people's stories as well in this yeah. country. And you have to be intentional. Huge. I mean, you do. And That's I have to be intentional. Yeah. And where I was very intentional about my daughter's books, I had not been intentional about my own. It's been so life-giving for me because what it what it has shown me is a bigger God, mm. a, a much bigger God, and a much more um, creative God than I had imagined. And then you find yourself seeing all life you find yourself saying things like womb to the tomb you find yourself saying things that um you understand that black lives matter because all lives have not mattered and that's the thing that is so difficult for people to reach at is that all lives matter no all lives have not mattered Mm -hmm. and so we have to call out and call attention to the ones that have not right so it's important that we say Black Lives Matter for that very reason. Yes, and I could go with the the white narrative that, you know, when, like you just said, all lives matter, but there's so much more to that story that, like you just yeah. said, all lives have not, white lives have always mattered. So, you know, so it's right. just like being so intentional and in reading these stories and exposing yourself. And I love how you said that's made just God bigger and your love for him bigger. I mean, that's what my journey has been similar just with this podcast. And I just look at when I started it, it was like a lot of white women stories that look like mine, but, and it's like, I don't, the shift, especially when I took a break over the summer of like, and I told Natasha, like reading her book that says, you know, we need to hear more stories of women of color, black women. And I was like, yeah, and I'm not Mm -hmm. doing that at all. And it's just like you said, then opening that door to others like indigenous folks and Asian. And it's like, there's so much more and this makes our God so much bigger and more creative and more. um, So yeah, I could go on with that and books and stories, but, and that's, but that goes back to why it matters. So let's shift gears Something, though, that you've most recently created is your Mockingbird History Lessons, which is what, like I said, started me on looking like, okay, looking a little bit more because I, um, like I said, my oldest is down at University Model School. So she has a history teacher that has been amazing, like amazing. And for the first time in my life, this is her second year with them. 
I realized I was not taught like anything in history because he's the one, right. she comes home ex teaching me history and so excited about right. like, did you know this? Did you know that Tulsa race riots, anything like were the worst in the, it's like, I'd never even heard of yeah. this. I mean, right. like you, I had the same Pilgrim and Indian classroom yeah. party. Um, and so that now my other daughter in public school, I've like, I need to like keep keep a breath like I need to know like I need to teach myself so that's what got me interested in your yeah. Mockingbird history lessons which is your Patreon page where you dive in and you fill in these missing pieces of history and the real history so tell me what what I kind of I mean obviously from your story we've heard so far we see what your passion and narrative but why when did you decide like really we need I need to do this and I need to dig in and make this available to people I think from that very first conversation with yeah. the teacher yeah. Um, I could not stop. I, sp I kept, I kept digging into how history was being taught. Mm -hmm. And I, and I thought, there's got to be a way that we can do better. There's got to be a way that we can do better. And um, I knew that I would not be able to, to create a curriculum for like, schools in the way that um, they should be created by people who specialize in that. But I was like, you know what? I can create a way for parents to be more educated and then also to educate their children um, at home, to talk, be talking about history at home, because that's the thing. We don't talk about history mostly at home. We don't really do that. But the other thing was, I really believe that history began, begins with our humanity. It begins and ends with our humanity. And so, it, well, it will end with our humanity. But... Um, I wanted my, I wanted for kids to see humanity first, the humanity of people before they got into the history of it. Because if they didn't understand that these were actual human beings, just like they were, then they would have a hard time understanding the decisions that were made, the flaws, the characters that um, in our history that we built into being legends and heroes that they were flawed. And there's a devastation with that. My daughter was devastated to learn some things about President Lincoln when she was um, in her AP history class last year. And it wasn't that Lincoln was all good or all bad. Lincoln was, was Lincoln. It didn't, it didn't take away the good that he did, but she was very troubled by things that she found out and she felt duped. <laughs> and so, uh -huh. You know, I was just like, but if she had learned, if I had told her ahead of time, she had learned about what it is to be a human being trying to build a community and then build a nation. Right. And that if there's, if that is built on a foundation where humanity, anyone's humanity has been disregarded or mutilated, it's going to be awfully hard to make a good government based on that because you're not looking at the foundation. It's very biblical. You can't build. If you build on um, solid ground, you're going to have a much sturdier um, history and government and community that's thriving. But if you build it on shallow land, and we've done that in this country where we've yes. not owned up to the mistakes that our forefathers have made, and instead we've built monuments mm. erecting, saying that we have, that, that we are the land of the free. No, we're the land of the still trying to get free. Mm -hmm. We're not free. Mm -hmm. There are many of us who are yeah. free 
and the Constitution did not free everyone and wasn't made for everyone. And so we really have to look at that. And our kids then can handle the truth because they're not having to undo years and years and years and years of a different narrative. And then all of a sudden they hit high school and they learn something new or they get to college and they hear something new or they're just Googling something and they are just like, right. Wow. Nobody told me the trail of tears that I learned about was not the trail of tears that my native or indigenous friends learned about. And it's so like, oh, I, this could be a whole other episode in itself because there's so much there. Like like your daughter, right. I, feel, I mean, I'm sure you too, the history you learned growing up, like, mm-hmm. I can't even believe it. Can you? Yeah. Like when I'm like, I was presented yeah. that Columbus was like the greatest and so was Washington. And it's like, there's, I cannot yeah. believe how whitewashed our history has been. And one of the things you say is that you say in order to change, we have to learn, acknowledge and repent of our history. And in order to do that, right. we have to know the whole history with all its cracks and broken narratives. And right we both have kids and it's hard with kids like, but it's so needed if we want to move forward and not make this country great again, but actually make it a great country and (laughs) a diverse country. So let's dig in a little bit to, um, since we're coming up on Thanksgiving and this is one of the hardest stories and I still wrestle with what do you do when you have young kids with this one? I mean, now that I know about this, it's like, I don't, I'm at the point, I don't even want to celebrate Thanksgiving. I'm like, huh, how do you wrestle yeah. with this? So you shared, maybe talk about just a little bit, because I think it's just really impactful. You talk about your first in kindergarten, um, when you have to come dressed as a pilgrim or an Indian. And so many of us have that same experience. So can you yeah. talk just a little bit about that, your experience there and being black with that? And then let's dive into like, what we do with the real the real history of Thanksgiving and our kids and how to teach that. I will say that I'm still learning about Thanksgiving. It, it is a new experience for me. And last year was my first year where it dawned on me. Oh my gosh. It was kind of like, a, <laughs> it was kind of like, how did this slip by me? Sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was really through Be the Bridge. It was through Latasha Morrison and Be the Bridge. And then I started following Caitlin Curtis and I uh, listened to some TED Talks and I was like, I need to understand this better. And I've just got to tell you, the indigenous history of this country is so rich and can can teach us so much if we're willing to go there. Yes. Um, But you have to be willing to. And, And the reason why I believe that it's even harder is that Race is so evident in the skin color, right? Mm -hmm. But indigenous people, it's not necessarily that they're going to look different. And I think that's where we get into trouble. I think Caitlin Curtis put up something on her her, um, Twitter account that someone had said that she wasn't really indigenous and Mm -hmm. that she was, they wanted to see her, her ancestry and called her the daughter of Elizabeth Warren. And I, mm, and I, my, it's just, a, it's a crushing thing. But what my understanding has been since I've been um, doing the my own work and trying to understand indigenous culture and our indigenous history is that when we tell kids that there's 
programs and there's and we say Indians, we don't say Native American or Indigenous back in those days. Right. Um, what we're basically telling our kids is that you can be either on the side of the pilgrims, the good people who came here to build a better life, and that's such a beautiful romantic story, or you can be part of the Indians, and I put that in quotes because yes. that can be offensive to some, yes. but the, you're part of the Indians, and they're the ones who um, who who were who stood in the way of progress mm-hmm. and but there was this one day where the indians finally understood the purpose of it all and that's <laughs> that's uh, thanksgiving and aren't yeah. we so glad and yeah. we could we can end it there but a lot of indigenous people have great ideas for how we can do a better job with Thanksgiving. And I think one of the things is, I don't think people, like I I posted something last year and people were like, are you saying we shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving? I was saying, I am not saying that we should not celebrate or be grateful or have thankfulness for this country. I am saying that we should be thanking the right people for this country and not our forefathers and not the pilgrims and that we need to make amends that's all i'm saying and one of the things the simple things that we can do as american citizens who want to be allies to indigenous people and indigenous culture is just to simply say hey this is the land that i stand on and this is where i'm celebrating today and this is why i'm so grateful that yeah um that we even have indigenous people who are willing to teach us and to be grateful for the land in and of itself and to repent of what was done to the people who own that land. And just to be honest about it around yeah. the Thanksgiving table, rather than pretend that they were a-okay with it because they knew that yeah. we were going to do a better job with this country than they were going to do. So it's just that narrative has to go away and yeah. we've just got to be honest with what we did and then not make it a day that doesn't include a level of lament or repentance. And I think that that's, that's a really simple way of doing it because yeah, to, to, there are, it's the same thing with the 4th of July. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, for, 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 for my culture, that's, I think Lecrae once posted a picture of, um, an, an actual picture of, of slaves picking cotton. He said, this is what my friend, this is what my people were doing on the 4th of July. Um, mm. So we weren't free was what he was saying. Yeah. And a lot of people had a problem with that. They're like, are you saying that we shouldn't celebrate the liberty? No, he was not saying that. He's saying, yeah, we can celebrate liberty and the pursuit of happiness and all these wonderful things in our country's independence. Great. But we also have to be willing to lament that the battle has not yet been won. Yeah. And so because black people weren't free, indigenous people were still having their land taken from them and terrible things happening so that we can be um, the, the great country that so many want to just look at, but not look at the, the underbelly of, of how did we how how did that happen and who had to sacrifice and who had to, um, who was wounded in the process of that? Like, not being willing to look at that just 
is a fairy tale. That's not, that's not the history. That's a yeah. fairy tale. Yeah. And, and, we, and that's what so much yeah. of our history has been. These his, this right. feel good, <laughs> white privileged white conqueror um, narratives that there's so much right. more. So I do. I like just, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, oh, no, I, no, I just learned I, I, my friend, one of my friends was like, oh, my gosh. She's like, I read your was one of the history lessons. And it was one of the early ones about how our country was colonized. And I don't even go into great detail. I usually use a lot of people who know better than me um, that yeah. I've read and who have helped me. And so she said, oh, I just did you just, I didn't want to know that about pirates because she had, <laughs> had this romantic, she'd had a very romantic idea of what pirates were. And I said, well, it's always been a problem for children to dress as pirates. I mean, we all knew what pirates were, but we mm -hmm. let our kids dress at them and we're kind of, you know, isn't that cute? My daughter dressed for a pirate, um, as a pirate before. And it's the, and I look at it now and I think, oh mm -hmm. gosh, you know, like we've really romanticized it. And Disney's romanticized it with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, you're and right. It's a thing of we've, we've got in, in Captain Hook and in the whole, there's so many problems with Peter Pan. I don't even know how I don't even know how indigenous people like can stand it. Like, it, yeah. and I'm sure they can't. But right. but I my apologies for that. We've done such a bad job with um, terrible disservice to the country that we claim that we want to create because we've not included those voices and. This is the very reason why when you have a homogenous um, group of people running things, this is where you don't, you, this is how you miss out on things. This is how you miss yeah. the narratives that you never considered. And it's really sad because I think, I truly believe our country probably would be all the richer had we included indigenous people in the development of it rather than just rip it from them and decide how we were going to figure it out. Oh, you absolutely. Know? And so me, I without think, a doubt. Yeah. I was like, there probably was a better way to extract oil. There probably was a better yeah. way to do a whole bunch of things. It's probably a better way to, to, um, to eat off the land. It's probably a better way to farm. I'm sure because but we, we hadn't been open to that from the very beginning. And not just that, there's probably a better way. We, we often think of indigenous people only as farmers and, and people who tended the land, but we forget that there were all these different tribes. It was a diverse community of different tribes, different beliefs, different ways of living, living in harmoniously in this country, right? Yes, And so one thing that we need to understand is that we probably would have better ideas for government, but we didn't include that narrative. We didn't right. ask. Our forefathers didn't ask and, any and, of that. Right. And that's what we, why, again, going back to why does this matter? Because we can, we can, we can change that and start including mm -hmm. these voices and these narratives. And yeah. you mentioned that your friends talked about one of your earlier uh, posts on the excuse me, on the Mockingbird history page. And I, I cannot tell people enough and encourage people enough to subscribe because it's a perfect time because you start like one of your very earliest ones does talk about the founding of this country. And it's a, and you, right. is it like every week that you release a new one as we progress through history? 
right? Is that yeah? So, right. yep. It's a weekly. It's a weekly lesson, and the lesson, um, you really do have to go all the way back to the beginning of yes. the pre-set of lessons that explain how we're going to be looking at history. And what we're not doing is we're not just saying, okay, this is what happened, and then this is what happened, and then this is what happened. Right. What we're looking at mostly chronologically, as close as we can be. Um, we're looking at what was significant and how did it become significant? Who was human at that time? Who was considered human at that time? And who wasn't considered human at that time? Why weren't they considered human at that time? It's really important to look at that because when we go back to the beginning, we have to understand that even if there were, let's say that there was this wonderful day where all the indigenous people brought corn and <laughs> all the pilgrims made a pumpkin pie, we have to be, we have to understand that at the time, they did not see native people as being the same as them or even human. That's right. And we have to really wrap our heads around that. And so we we have to know this because when we say things when we hear our po politicians talk about the constitution or talk about the declaration of the bill of rights or any of the amendments we have to understand that as we see the constitution and the declaration of the bill of rights today and all the amendments that we have that is not how they they saw it when they were putting it together they were not putting together a constitution that made all men equal and let's right. just talk about the fact that when they said men they meant men right it was not a lot of times you'll hear people say well they meant women no no they, they didn't. didn't yeah I agree no <laughs> and, they didn't <laughs> yeah and you can know it by who was able to vote yeah and a lot of people say well no you know by who's able to have land nope it's by mm. who was able to vote because right. women were were able to own land Right. And they were able to even own slaves. And a lot of them owned more slaves than their husbands did. And a lot of times husbands married a woman who had a lot of slaves mm -hmm. and he had a lot of land. And so, but she wasn't allowed to vote. Yeah. So we have to yeah. talk about that. And there, when African, many African-Americans did receive land, not many, I wouldn't say that, but some African-Americans freed African-American slaves received land. Yes. Some of them did, but they weren't able to vote. And if you're not able to vote, yeah. then you're really not seen as a citizen. And if you're not seen as a citizen, you're owning that land is like me trying to say I own a river. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be easily taken for the benefit of the country. And that's exactly what happened to a lot of African-American farms. They were taken. Yes. They were taken back. Um, and that's what happened to indigenous people in this country, their land was taken for the benefit of our ideas of independence and growth and wealth. And yeah. so the wealth and health of the country and even the, the battle of the civil war wasn't so much about the moral, the morality of slavery, which a lot of people like to say it wasn't, it wasn't a war about slavery, it was a war about economics. It was a war about slavery, but it wasn't moralistic. It wasn't about the moral fact of slavery but a lot of that war was also about okay and this is something that Lincoln believed he believed that the fact that the, the southerns had slaves 
gave them a better advantage over the poor white man who was trying to also own land and work land in the Midwest and in, in those places. And so that's, that's a problem. And with the expansion of America, because we, we forget that when the Civil War happened, we weren't a fully expanded country. So it was really fighting over would the, would the places where we were going to take more land from indigenous people, were we going to allow slave slavery in that land and the south wanted to of course allow slavery because that gave them more power in the country because have you you heard the 16 i'm sorry i interrupted have you listened to the 1619 podcast yes oh my gosh it's it's my favorite me too some of the lessons yeah if you go on in some of the lessons i i i recommended some of them and they also have a really good um through the Peabody um, organization, they have curriculum for children. So okay, that's good want, to know. Yeah, and I'll link. I probably will link that sixteen nineteen podcast on this as one, if you don't mind. Yeah, on yours. Um, oh my gosh. With also with your mockingbird history lessons, because like I said, now is such a perfect time for people to sign up and it's such a minimal monthly fee that you charge for all the work that you do, like the, the research and just showing and telling these narratives and stories of history that, that we don't know to fill in the gaps. And then you do list resources and you list questions and it's just so, I just, I thank you for doing it. I mean, I can't imagine how you time you pour into it and um we can hope one day our history books might be a little more huh and i encourage folks to look at their kids history books i mean oh my gosh look at your kids history book look at your kids history book and i would say what you're looking for in your kids history book because i would say make sure that there's a narrative of indigenous people and african-american people throughout the book yeah. That if your kid's history book only has a chapter about Native American and indigenous people and only a chapter or a section of um, African American history, that it's a separate thing that they've thrown into the book, that's a problem. That, well, that's a problematic book. Absolutely. And I, I mean, are there any books that are in, you know, public schools, even private that are not, that are well written to integrate the history? I don't know. I've not encountered one yet. I don't, you know what? I don't think that there are, I would say, but my thing is if that's what you're looking at, then you can ask the teacher or you can ask the head of the department, how else are you teaching indigenous history, Asian American history, um, Hispanic history, throughout and black history throughout the lessons how are you are you how how are you addressing that yeah and, and that, my guess is they're not going to have a wonderful answer to you and that's why i mean i'm encouraging parents we've got to be proactive in this and your mm-hmm. mockingbird history lessons are a great first step because i don't think most people even know what they don't know most adults. yeah i didn't know what i didn't know let me tell you i i really did not know. <laughs> no, I'm the same until, like I said, my daughter had the history yeah. teacher for the last two years. It's right. opened my eyes for what she's taught me and really, yeah. um, and so it's, and it's hard to navigate. Like my 10 year old being back in public school this year, I'm just kind of at a loss for, because she hears from us and her sister, like a lot of the truths. And she's told us, she spoke right. up and told her teacher, did you know how many slaves George Washington had? And did you know? How? And she's kind of yeah. like hushed down and the kids look at her like, what are you even talking about? Right. So it's, it's, it's right. a hard kind of a weird place to be. Cause it's like, 
you want your kids to know the truth, but um, it's not so well received all the time. And and I think, yeah, I want to, I, I just want to say, this is the thing. This is where we're at in, in our, in our school systems and where I challenge every parent. And I know there are a lot of parents and you don't want your kids to hear these ugly bits of history, but here's the deal. As if you're Christian, there is the history of our savior hanging on a cross mm. and we teach that and we want our kids to know it. Right. Well, he didn't do that for nothing. So we need to be bolder and braver with why he needed to be there on that cross. We really do. And mm. otherwise it was for nothing. If we're teaching them that history's all a bed of roses and we're not even able to look at our own humanity and the mistakes that we continue to make and the apples that we continue to pull from the tree. And I know it's not a literal apple, but all the times that we are asked and throughout our history, did God really say, Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Eve was asked. Did he, did he really say, did he say that he won't surely die? Is that what he really said? Yeah. Is that what he really, we're still faced with that question throughout our history. And so start from there, that yeah. we are flawed people who are often, you know what? It's the same thing when Lincoln or President Washington or Jefferson, they too had that fruit. Did God really say that these people are human? Mm-hmm. Is that really what God meant? You know what I mean? Yeah. We still we still have that in our natures. So we really our kids are able to handle so much more of the truth as long as we have a better truth for them to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Of course, if we tell them something tragic and awful and we just end it there, there's no hope, then of course who, who wants to teach a kid that? But to teach kids that, hey, you know what? We as humans, we can be awfully flawed and we, we, are, we can deceive ourselves into believing things that are untrue. But we believe in a God who says that love can conquer this. That if we love one another and we love our enemies and that if we cling and abide to him, that we can look into these dark places and we can actually be light. And that's biblical, that we can, that we can be the light on the hill is amazing. And kids want to do that. They want to yeah. do that. But we don't often give, we clip their wings and we feed them baby food for far too long. And then they're, they're faced with, they become kids who make up their own answers for history and for race. And that's mm-hmm. so dangerous and unhelpful to them and it really narrows their own view of God that maybe God isn't strong enough I I shudder to think of the kids who may think that God can't undo racism yeah that is uh, you know or that he has no opinion on it that really that really worries me right because when we don't want to talk about it we're actually saying that our God isn't big enough to handle that truth that we've created not him you're right. And what I, I just felt like I was sitting back listening to an amazing sermon, Marcy, because you're right. Like we give our kids this, as Christians, this image of Jesus on the cross and in this horrific story of how he died, but we think they can't handle history. And why did he die? Right. So I, I love that. And that just gave me so much clarity too, for even this Thanksgiving of, you know, going from a place of knowing, like, I don't even want to celebrate this to, yeah, here's what we're celebrating. 
And even through all this, the atrocities, we can bring Mm -hmm. Jesus into this too. So I just love that how you just, you just explained and made us realize how important that is and how we can do that with our own kids. Well, I can keep talking to you, but I've taken up so much of your morning. Like, Oh, oh, you are just so full of, you. you are so full of knowledge and just, grace and I just I love I I can't encourage people enough to follow your blog and subscribe to your history lessons like I said it's the perfect time tell me where the website that we can find both of these and we'll make sure of course to link them up on the show notes so you can find me at blackcoffeewithwhitefriends.com that's the blog and that's where I share um, just basically my life Um, as a black person in white space. And it's not always just about that, um, but it very much is because that's just the reality of who I am. Um, It's also a lot about books and nerd culture. I'll I'll fully admit that. I I am a book nut. I I love music. A lot of the Instagram feed, um, I know it seems random to people sometimes. Like I think yesterday I posted something about Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> it's okay. That's why I you love know, it. I love your Instagram I, posts. I want people to know me as a person fully and not just my racial narrative. And and so we're able to rejoice together and weep together, like able to do both. And I love hearing people's stories. I, I love hearing back from people what they're experiencing in their lives and um, what makes them the books that they read and the music that they listen to and the movies that they see. It's so exciting for me. So that's great places to find me. Um, The Instagram feed is also black coffee with white friends. So you can find me there. Thank you for all your work that you do on here, Marcy. And I just appreciate talking to you. I wish I could like read in person and have some coffee with you. (laughs) I hope that I'm able to do that. I have friends and um, Oklahoma now, so you that, do? That's, a, that's a possibility now. Okay, yeah. well, if you are in the Tulsa <laughs> area or anywhere in Oklahoma, I'll drive. I'll drive to see you and have coffee because there's oh, so much more that I could talk about with you. Tell me if you're in, if you're ever in Austin. I absolutely would love to do that. I would. Uh, I'd probably make a trip down there for you. I think you're just fascinating to talk to. You, and I feel like we're looking at the so grateful to Marcy for sharing some of her story and the story of our country in this episode. Her work has been instrumental in helping me to recognize the places I've compromised with systematic prejudices in my own heart. I can't encourage you enough to check out her blog and take a look at her Mockingbird History Lessons. The History Lessons are subscription-based, but they're just a dollar a month, just one dollar, and I'll tell you it's well worth it. As always, I link all the info up on Her Story Speaks website at herstoryspeaks.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.